Do you find yourself researching scary ghost stories and haunting tales? Can't get enough mysteries and unexplained phenomena? Then Haunted Visions is the podcast for you. I'm Brandy. And I'm Rachel. Come join us as we dive into stories of the paranormal, spine-chilling history, and adventures into the darkness of the unknown. You'll also enjoy listening to eerie paranormal encounters submitted to us by our awesome listeners. Look us up on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. And if you find yourself craving more chills and thrills, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and join the Haunted Visions Facebook group. Sleep tight. And don't let the ghosties bite. Listening to the Already Gone podcast, sharing stories of the missing, the murdered, the mysterious, and the lost. In the summer of 2016, there was a docu-series on investigation discovery called The Vanishing Women. It covered the cases of six women who were missing or found deceased in and around Chillicothe, Ohio. The show took a deep dive, looking closely at the women, the investigation, and the circumstances of the community that may have contributed to the missing and murdered women. Many of these women struggled with addiction or were involved in sex work. Both are high-risk activities. The circumstances surrounding their disappearance don't make them less loved, less worthy, or less missed. In the late fall of 2017, I started hearing similar stories coming out of Flint, my Flint, the former General Motors town, once a wonderful place to live, work, and raise a family. Flint was the hub of General Motors manufacturing. Flint even had a nickname, Vehicle City. Beginning in 1925, Flint's Fisher Body Plant employed hundreds and eventually thousands of workers. But in the early 1980s, the Fisher Body Plant was targeted to close. Flint spent 60 amazing years as a powerhouse. The esteemed University of Michigan opened a campus in Flint to educate the engineers and business leaders of tomorrow. There were parks, museums, cultural centers. Places like the Sloan Museum, the Flint Institute of Music, and Longway Planetarium. From 1938 until 1945, auto factories in Flint were building munitions and machines to power Allied soldiers to victory in World War II. That body plant was cranking out heavy tanks to fight overseas. Flint was the birthplace of the Corvette. In 1953, the Corvette prototype was produced in Flint. Then, the market shifted. Changes in manufacturing technology and motorists weren't as interested in what Flint was producing. General Motors, along with Ford and Chrysler, found themselves competing with Honda, Toyota, and Nissan for market share. The city on the river began to lose jobs and started a sad, slow decline. Jobs were leaving, and so were the people, the businesses. Flint became a shadow of what it once was. By the 90s, many of the auto jobs were gone, either moved to Flint's suburbs or shuttered completely. 
Now Flint is struggling with a poisoned water supply, horrific crime rates, a lack of jobs and opportunity. Flint bears little resemblance to the proud, hard-working town that supplied the war effort during World War II and created cars that dazzled the world. On our webpage, I've included links to articles if you would like to read more about the rise and fall of Vehicle City. And, listeners, I must admit, I could spend an entire episode talking about the rise and decline of Flint and my own connection to the city. In fact, I could probably do an entire series about it. But today, today we're going to start with 10 names. 10 women. 10 daughters, mothers, sisters, friends. Gone. Banished. Disappeared. Today we're going to talk about nine years and ten names. Erica, Brianna, Amy Jo, Misty, Shay V, Sylvia, Claudia, Elizabeth, Teresa, and Gina. White, black, Hispanic, slim or round. Some are mothers, and all of them, every one of them, is loved and missed. Our story begins in November of 2017 when the news coming out of Flint told of skeletal remains recovered from Broom Park. Remains, plural. I read story after story about bones being found in Broom Park. Law enforcement agencies descended on the area. FBI, Michigan State Police, Flint Police, search teams that included canine units. They combed through the park looking for additional remains and looking for evidence. Then I came across another part of the story, this time from M Live, a story that mentioned another dog, this one belonging to James Beatty. Beatty, a 49-year-old resident of Flint, he takes his own dog for walks in Broom Park, and it was Beatty who found the skulls, skulls that weren't there during his previous trips through the park. It is very reasonable for us to reach out to our task force assets and bring them in because they are able to bring boots on the ground that that we may not be able to mass that quickly on the spot. Flint's Deputy Chief Devin Bernritter says someone walking their dog first spotted the human remains Tuesday morning. Officers weren't able to locate the caller's discovery until an MTA employee called in with the same finding about two hours later. It was not concealed. It was not in a place where that was off the beaten path. It was in a place where it was readily visible to them. Police immediately closed Broom Park and brought in state police and the FBI for assistance. Since then, canines have been helping with the search that expanded across 12th Street near Southwestern High School. So far, nothing else has been found. Now they're waiting on forensic exam results before saying who the remains belong to or how long they've been there. We do note the remains were incomplete. In the four months since the discovery, the remains were sent for analysis and they were unable to make a concrete match with any of the missing women from Genesee County. Flint is in the heart of Genesee County. Law enforcement has yet to release the identities of the bodies found at Broom Park. These are other missing women. They could be from the Flint area, and it's possible that they were never reported as missing. In the hopes of identifying these remains, the Michigan State Police held a Find the Missing event on Thursday, February 18th in Flint. 
working with the Genesee County Medical Examiner, NamUs, which stands for National Missing and Unidentified Person System, and Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County, they collected DNA from families with missing loved ones. While there are dozens of missing women and children from the Flint area going all the way back to another November, this time in 1958, the disappearance of seven-year-old Adele Wells, a petite, slender second grader who vanished on the way to Jefferson Elementary School. Adele had stopped at her grandmother's home that morning on the way to school so she could show off the fresh braids and her glossy black hair. After leaving her grandmother's home, she would never be seen or heard from again. If Adele Wells is still alive, she would be 66 years old. Today, we're looking at cases from the last decade, starting in 2009 with Elizabeth Land, a 26-year-old redhead who left her mother's Flint home off North Chevrolet Avenue to meet a friend at a local bar for drinks. Land made it to the bar, but she never made it back home. It was a Thursday evening, February 26th, and Land intended on a quick visit with her friend for a drink. She left the house with only her purse and the clothes on her back. Elizabeth Land was born Elizabeth Wills. She was an only child, raised in Lapeer County, and she was a graduate of Almont High School. Land, a mother of four, was staying with her own mother, Jean McGoggy, as she went through a divorce. While Land had faced some challenging times, including a struggle with addiction, she was getting her life back together, back on track. She had been clean for six months when she disappeared. Land loved her four children and looked forward to being reunited with them. At the time she went missing, her life was coming back together nicely. She'd gotten clean. She was involved with someone new. This person was in Florida when she went missing. One of the last things that Elizabeth Land did before she disappeared was to send him a text message. When he called her back on Friday morning, the call went straight to voicemail. There was no further contact from Elizabeth Land. In case you're wondering, the person she met up with the night she went missing was checked out by police. Elizabeth Land is a white female, 26 years old at the time of her disappearance, approximately 5 foot 3 inches tall, 140 pounds, with long auburn hair, freckles, and prescription eyeglasses. She has a tattoo on her right shoulder. Land's daughter, Katie, was 11 years old when her mother disappeared. Now she's nearly 20 and still hopeful she will see her mother again. Here is a clip from an interview Katie gave to a Flint area news station in October of 2017. Hopefully someone will decide, you know, this girl, this woman had a family, she had loved ones and they all want her back or just want answers at this point. Just answers would help knowing because not knowing is the hardest part. Flint police believe that Elizabeth Land met with foul play. If you have information about her disappearance, please contact Crime Stoppers at 1-800-SPEAK-UP. The next woman who disappeared from the Flint area was also a mother of four children, and her name is Sylvia June Galvin. It was October of 2011 when she was seen getting into a car with an unknown man, never to be seen again. Galvin grew up in the Flint area. As an adult, she'd lived in Flint, Flushing, and Mount Morris. 
Thirty years of age, she was petite, just five foot one and one hundred fifty pounds. Galvin is of Hispanic descent, with brown hair falling past her shoulders and large brown eyes. She has several tattoos on her arms and back, and on her ankle there is a moon, rainbow, and stars tattoo. Galvin also has multiple piercings in her left ear. She was last seen in Mount Morris, getting into a car being driven by an unidentified man. There may have been other men in the vehicle as well. The city of Mount Morris borders the north end of Flint. And, I'll be honest, one of the most frustrating aspects of Galvin's case is that she was last seen in 2011, but a missing persons report wasn't filed until 2013. Because of her lifestyle choices, she was estranged from her parents and her four daughters, although she did make an effort to keep in touch with them. But this estrangement, this is what led to the delay in her being reported missing. In September of 2016, Galvin's daughter, Daisy Caldwell, gave an interview about her missing mother. She spoke candidly of her mother's struggle with addiction and that no matter how hard things had become, Sylvia Galvin loved and worried about her children and often reached out to them wanting to speak with them and know that they are okay. Caldwell said, and I quote, The case is cold, so that's tough but we really hope that people come forward if they know something. It's tough knowing that someone knows where she is and if she's alive or not. Sylvia Galvin's case is being handled by Detective Sergeant David Rivard of the Michigan State Police. This case is open and active, and law enforcement remains hopeful that additional information will come to light. 2012 brought no new unsolved cases, and the community almost made it through 2013 without another missing woman. At the end of the year, another woman vanished. 19-year-old Gina Shirley Collins was last seen around 11 p.m. on December 31, 2013. She was at the corner of Pettibone and Fenton Roads in Flint. That's Gina with a J if you decide to look for information about her. At the time of her disappearance, Gina Collins was five foot seven inches tall, with highlighted shoulder-length brown hair. She has a scar on her chest from being scratched by a cat as a child. She also has a faint tattoo on her left shoulder blade of a moon and stars. When she was last seen in Flint on New Year's Eve, Collins was wearing boots, jeans, and a gray hoodie. She may have accepted a ride from someone. Like in Galvin's case, there's not a lot of information available about her disappearance. Colin's sister, Jennifer White, is caring for Gina's young son. He was just a toddler when his mother disappeared. Her family is hopeful that Gina will be located and brought home. Along with her sister, Gina's mother, Donnelly Ward, has been active in keeping her name in the press. Colin's case is being handled by the Flint Police Department. And it's worth mentioning that Gina Collins was last seen about four miles south of the bar where Elizabeth Land had a drink before disappearing in 2009. Gina's sister, Jennifer White, spoke with the news on the anniversary of Gina's disappearance in 2017. She came missing on December 31st of 2013 out of Flint. The last time she was seen between 10 and 11 o'clock on New Year's Eve night off of Fenton Road in Pettibone. We just want closure. So whatever it may be, we just want to bring her home. 
it, just, it doesn't matter, you know, at this point, four years, it's a long time. It would be nearly a year before another woman went missing. This time, it was LaQuandra Slater, who went by her nickname, Shavy. According to NamUs, Shavy was last seen on December 2nd, 2016. On December 8th, her car was discovered near the intersection of Atherton Road and Van Slyke Road in Flint. I've read online that her car was found parked at Sitdowners Memorial Park, which is tucked back off the main roads. It's a rather desolate area, particularly after dark. I will post a link to Google Maps on her website so you can take a look at the park and the area surrounding it. And when I say park, it's a small green space. It's not a big, sprawling park like Broom Park, which we talked about earlier. The location near Sitdowners Memorial Park where her car was found is just one mile west of where 19-year-old Gina Collins was last seen a year earlier. At the time of her disappearance, Shay V was 38 years of age, 5 foot 4 inches tall, and approximately 175 pounds, with short black hair, multiple tattoos, and several facial piercings. Shay V is a striking woman. The pictures posted online show her with styled hair and fashionable jewelry. Her family describes her as fun-loving, and they are continuing to look for her. LaQuandra Shavy Slater's case is being handled by the Flint Police Department. Just a few days later, and less than two miles away, another woman went missing. 48-year-old Teresa Town Woolard was last seen in the Kings Lane Apartments at Fenton Road and Hemphill Road in Burton. As the crow flies, this is about a mile or a mile and a half from the location where Shavy's car was found abandoned. When police accessed her apartment with help from her landlord, they found her purse and cigarettes were left behind. I was able to speak with the Burton police detective handling her case. There was no sign of a struggle in her apartment. She was just gone. Teresa has no criminal record, and she was an active attendee at Bridge Church in Flint. It's like Teresa Town Woolard just vanished on that winter day in 2016. Now, the last known sighting of her was December 5th, and the last time anyone heard from her was a text message she sent to her daughter the morning of December 11th, 2016. Town Willard's children are worried about her and are hoping that someone will come forward with information. Teresa Town Willard is about 5 foot 4 inches tall, 105 pounds with bright blue eyes and long blonde or dark blonde hair. She sometimes wears glasses and her case is being handled by the Burton Police Department. We've spanned seven years from the disappearance of Elizabeth Land in 2009 Sylvia Galvin in 2011, Gina Collins in 2013, and the dual December 2016 disappearances of LaQuandra Shavy Slater and Teresa Town Willard. From the southern part of Flint and the north end of Burton, five women in seven years, and these are just the women that went missing and were not found. The summer of 2017 is when things begin to escalate. Four women go missing in the second half of 2017. In the summer of 2017, Misty Dawn Carrison, a petite woman in her mid-30s with long auburn hair, went missing. She was last seen near the intersection of Fenton and Atherton Roads in Flint. Unlike other locations mentioned previously, 
This is a busy intersection. There's a large chain drugstore, a family discount chain store, and a sandwich shop. There are also a couple of fueling stations just a block away. This is one mile north of the Kings Lane Apartments where Teresa Town Woolard lived and was last seen. It's also just a mile away from the location that Shavy's car was found abandoned. There is little information online about Karrison, who may also use the name Misty Stiber. Misty had several Facebook accounts, and the last activity on any of the profiles appears to be July 18th, 2017. I was able to connect with her mother, who is very worried about her daughter. She describes Misty as smart and strong and beautiful, that Misty may have gotten mixed up with the wrong people. Her last contact with her daughter was in July of 2017. Misty has a young son who is hoping his mother will return home. The disappearance of Misty Dawn Karrison Stiber is being handled by the Flint Police Department. That week in mid-July, it was a busy one, because during that same week, we have a disappearance of another young woman from Flint, Brianna Vibert. In 2017, Brianna is a 24-year-old mother of four young children, aged 6, 3, 2, and 1. She was a stay-at-home parent and cared deeply for her kids. Now, I've read some speculation on social media, and again, speculation, that Brianna could have gotten involved with the wrong crowd, or she was suffering postpartum depression and needed to get away for a while. What everyone does agree on is that her children and her family and friends, they miss her terribly. Brianna is 5 foot 9 inches tall and 120 pounds, with naturally dark red hair and brown eyes. She has several tattoos, including the names Savannah and Maddox on her wrists, a skeleton key tattooed on her foot, and the word family tattooed on her back. She was last seen around 1 a.m. on July 15, 2017, at a gas station on Miller Road in Flint. She was seen getting into a red Pontiac Aztec with an African-American male, but that person was contacted and he was ruled out. Police are now looking for the driver of a teal or green Ford Ranger or Chevy S10 pickup truck that was also at the gas station when Brianna was seen there. Because the gas station had surveillance in place, there is video and photo evidence of Brianna just moments before she disappeared. Also, Brianna frequented this gas station, so the clerk there knew her. He recognized Brianna when she came in. From what I've read online, and again, this is speculation, Brianna left without her personal items or her cell phone. In the hope of finding her daughter, Brianna's mother started to go fund me to hire a private investigator to look for her. She said that police have run down every lead and followed up on every sighting and tip, but it's time to do more. Brianna's family runs a Facebook page called Help Find Brianna Jade Vibert. The fueling station on Miller Road, where Vibert was last seen, is just two miles northwest of Atherton Road at Van Slyke, where Shavy Slater's car was left. Also, if you stay on Miller Road, it eventually turns into North Chevrolet Avenue, which connects us to the 2009 disappearance of Elizabeth Land. Listeners, I'm not implying that these cases are all connected, but the geographical proximity is of interest to me. 
Flint is 34 square miles in size, and about 33 of those miles are land, leaving one mile for water as the Flint River winds her way through the city. So, it's not a large city. For comparison purposes, Chicago is 234 square miles, Detroit is 140 square miles, and Cleveland is 82 square miles. Back to Brianna. Her family and friends have been active in looking for her and keeping her name in the press and on social media. Her case is being investigated by the Flint Township Police Department. As the summer of 2017 progressed, more women went missing. Next to disappear was Presley Nicole Rao, a 27-year-old mother of three children. Rao, who also goes by Amy Jo, was last seen August 14th on Fenton Road near Campbell Street in Flint. This is just a block away from where Misty Dawn Kennison Stiber was last seen in July, and less than a mile from the Kings Lane Apartments, where Teresa Town Willard lived and was last seen. Rao's mother, Connie, last spoke with her on August 11th and filed a missing persons report on August 18th. Rao, like many of the women discussed here, wasn't perfect. She had her struggles, including a 2015 arrest for solicitation, but her past does not make her any less valuable to her family and loved ones. At the time of her disappearance, Presley Rao, a.k.a. Amy Joe, weighed 100 pounds and is a petite 5 foot 2 inches tall. She has dishwater blonde hair and blue eyes. She's a very distinctive-looking person with angular features. There is a photo of her, along with the other missing women, posted on our website, www.alreadygonepodcast.com. Rao's case is being investigated by the Flint Police Department. Just two days after Connie Rao reported her daughter's disappearance to police, another woman went missing, 41-year-old Claudia Wilson. Wilson is tall, about 5 foot 8 inches, with long bleach blonde hair. Her nose is pierced, and she wears a stud beneath her lower lip on the left side. Wilson also has breast implants. There is almost no information about Wilson online. Most of what I'm sharing here comes from her name as entry. Her case is being investigated by the Flint Police Department. I've read on social media that, like Teresa Town Willard, Wilson left her personal items behind when she vanished. Also, in August of 2017, 18-year-old Erica Toynes disappeared from Flint. The only record of her case is a mention in NamUs that the 5'1", 110-pound African-American woman was last seen on August 24th. Her case is being handled by the Flint Police Juvenile Division. According to a news story on MLive, Flint Township and Burton Police, along with the Genesee County Search and Rescue Team, have teamed up with search groups, Bring Our Missing Home, and the Midwest Chapter of Texas EquiSearch to try and find Teresa Willard and Brianna Vibert. The search was originally scheduled for Sunday, March 11th, but there's too much snow on the ground, so they've rescheduled the search for Saturday, March 17th, 2018. The search will start at 8 a.m. Those looking to take part in the search party should visit bringourmissinghome.org and fill out a volunteer form. I'm feeling some frustration with this episode. One, there are so many missing women, and they're all important, and they're all special, 
and each one of them is loved and missed, but there are so many unanswered questions. I wish that I could tell you more about each of these cases, but if we knew more, we would likely know where to find them. Back in February, Flint hosted an Identify the Missing event. The Missing in Michigan statewide event is scheduled for the afternoon of Saturday, May 5th at Madonna University in Livonia. That's just eight weeks away. As this event draws closer, I will be sharing more details and information. I was able to attend the Missing in Michigan event last year, but I have a schedule conflict this year and I can't make it. And honestly... I'm sad about that. Listeners, you should know that if you have a missing loved one, even if they are voluntarily missing, you can file a police report with your local department or with the Michigan State Police. This week's episode would not have been possible without support from law enforcement. In each of these cases, I was able to speak with someone in law enforcement or a family member and every one of them is interested in finding answers and bringing these women home. And again, if you have information about these cases, even if you've spoken with law enforcement previously, please make the call. If you aren't certain which agency is handling a case, I have contact information for each story posted on my website. That's www.alreadygonepodcast.com. I need to send thanks to our latest Patreon supporters, Dave, Shannon, Aaron, and Justin from the Generation Y podcast. Thanks, guys. Brooke, Cindy, Emily Jean, Jen, and Mary. Thank you for supporting Already Gone. If you are interested in supporter-only content, early access to episodes, as well as other great benefits, consider supporting the pod on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash alreadygone. If you have questions, comments, or feedback, you can email me, host at alreadygonepodcast.com. If you're on Twitter, you can follow the show at alreadygonepod. I'm Nina Instead, the writer, producer, and voice behind the Already Gone podcast. Thank you for listening, and please, be safe. Mm -hmm.